ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. He goes on to say that the birth is, uh, we are required to grow after the birth. Uh, Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Ephesians 4, uh, verses 13 through 16 says, Until we all attain to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So, is growing spiritually and maturing in Christ, is that something we do on our own? Well, <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so so let us make sure we emphasize this, that the initial birth as into the kingdom of God is his work and his alone. Right. And we, but after that, we contribute to our growth. Mm-hmm. Not our salvation. Okay, make okay. sure we get that. So once That's I'm saved, difference. Yeah, when I, once I'm saved, I'm saved, mm-hmm. and I'm never going to be. Uh, I will never attain to any measure of righteousness in my Christian life that would uh, allow me to claim that I'm now that salvation now hinges with me. Okay, mm-hmm. is it, this is a point I think that many people misunderstand, and I I was thinking as I was preparing. And reading this about as a pastor, sometimes I'm 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 stressing so emphatically the need for Christian people to live a certain way mm-hmm. that it might sound like I'm saying you get saved by living this way. Okay. Right. And and there there's a there's a difference there. So it's very important for us to understand that I get saved strictly by the work of God. He does this work in me. Now that he has saved me, now that he has given me new life, he says, this is the way that the new life should manifest in your living day to day mm-hmm. and, and transform you. Now, for many people who, who don't make this connection, it, 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 it is a, it's, it's worth noting that in the Old Testament, God chose people and then told them how to live. Mm-hmm. Now, note that. He doesn't go down and say, oh, they're living the way I want, so I'll choose them. He chooses people and then tells them how to live. And you go all the way. He creates Adam. It was right. perf- totally the work of God. Mm-hmm. And he says, okay, Adam, now this is the way you want, I want you to live. Right. He calls Abraham. And what we know is Abraham's an, Abraham is an idolater. He's living in a, in a country of idolatry. He's not a good, moral, upright man. God calls him. And says, now here's how I want you to live. God brings the children of Israel out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. He, he comes down. He delivers them. He brings them out into the wilderness. 
And he says, now this is how I want you to live. And so it's always God, okay? It's always God doing it. And then he says, now because I've done this, this is how I want you to live. And it, and we come to the New Testament, it's the same way. God saves me from my sins. He gives me new life. He puts me in a new position. And then he says, now this is how I want you to live. And the living part is my responsibility. And that's where I do or, or should seek out things that are going to help me grow spiritually. Now, that isn't to say that God doesn't bring any things into our life like trials that refine our outlook and purify our motives, etc. And, and, and in those, as we respond to his dealings there, we are putting effort into growth. But it's so very important to recognize the difference. God has truly saved me, and now he says, this is how I want you to live. Mm -hmm. Now, one corollary that I think has to be said is that this, this, this growing, there has to be, if I'm a saved person, truly born again, there must be some aspect of desire in my heart for that growth. Right. Uh, that I go to prayer and I, I, uh, we, we, you know, we go to prayer, we go to confession, not as Catholics do, but we confess our failings, our sins. Right. We go to Christ instead right. of the priest. Exactly. Uh, and and uh, we, we, we say to the Lord, Lord, I need you to help me here. I, I, I'm, I'm conscious that I'm not as good a Christian. And this is a tricky phrase. I'm conscious that I'm not obeying you as vigorously as I should. Mm -hmm. I, I think maybe I need to change the way I say that. But, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it the way you deserve it to be done. Again, separating, boy, if I don't get this right today, I'm going to die and go to hell. No, I'm saved. Mm -hmm. If I don't get this right today, I'm failing to honor the God who saved me in the way he deserves to be honored. Mm -hmm. It's a slight difference there. But yes, we do play a role after our salvation. Mm -hmm. Okay, after our salvation. And that, that great act of salvation is a very large part of the motivation for growing in grace. And you see this, if I could just say one more thing, you see this throughout, Paul says, the reason you do this is because Christ did this. Right. The reason you forgive is because you were forgiven. Mm -hmm. The reason you, 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 you turn away from this lifestyle is because God has done these things. Right. And that's one of the passages that is again, terribly misunderstood, where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, mm -hmm. okay? Because many people think, well, that means I'm, I, I'm saved by works. I've got to do all this stuff. No, work out your salvation. You're already saved. Mm -hmm. Work out how that applies in your day-to-day -day life. Right. And then he goes, the next verse says, because God is working in you. In you. So it's never, it's never just me, but but accept that first act of salvation. That is God doing that. Right. And after I'm saved, then I work out the details of my personal experience. I learn what things I can do, what I can't do, what my conscience will allow, what it won't allow, uh, what, uh, what ministry I should get into, 
how much devotion I should have to that, the consciousness of when I'm failing my wife, my church, my community mm-hmm. as a believer. Right. Those are the things we work out. Well, you just mentioned church and, and other believers in this in Ephesians, which I just read, it talks about the body, right? The body of Christ, and that Christ is the head. So other Christians also have a part in our maturity. Right. Is uh, when we gather together, we edify each right. other, right, and build each other up in the faith. Is right. That- Absolutely. Yeah. That that's definitely a part of that understanding that we are members of a body. Right. We're not just. We're not just. Our names aren't just written on a roll book somewhere, mm-hmm. which, of course, the, the New Testament church didn't have. They didn't have roll books like we, we have. We have now, right. With, with their membership in the church meant they had accepted Christ. They had embraced Christ. They had confessed him as Lord and Savior. Um, so so the, the metaphor that Paul uses, members of his body, and we should have concern for one another, he's the writer of Hebrews says, provoke one another to good works. Right. Uh, that's part of the maturity. That's part of the growing in grace. And that is something we do. But it must always be separated from none of this brings me to Christ. Mm-hmm. God brought me to Christ. Right. Okay. And we, uh, Jesus said that it was imperative for him to go because he's going to send to us the comforter. Right. And what is it? He, he's going to comfort us, but he also leads us into all truth. Right. So is it, it's not, you're not even a Christian without the presence of the Holy Spirit in right. your life. Right. right. So exactly. it's, it's the presence of God or the work of God in your life that actually matures your life. Right. Because without the Holy Spirit, you cannot grow. Right. 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 So Correct. there again, we go back. It's all, it's not anything we do. We participate in it, but it's the work of God right. through the Holy Spirit, through through Christ right. and through God the Father. Right. And, and, and one of the things that I would suggest, again, is an evidence, quote unquote, an evidence of salvation is that I'm following that leading. Right. Because in that passage where Paul says, if I'm not mistaken, Romans chapter 8, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to him. Right. But then he says, everyone who is led of the spirit is born of God. In other words, the proof that you're born of God is that you're following the leading of the spirit who comes to lead us into deeper truth and obedience. Right. So it's right on along the lines of what you're saying. Exactly. He goes on to say that, uh, that regeneration is pictured in creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 6 through 12 says, For God, well, I'm going to read verse 6 first and, and let you comment on it. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the same God that spoke creation into into being, spoke the world into being, uh, has created us, created us anew right. in Christ Jesus. So most Christians go through periods of doubt yes. in their life, doubt about their salvations and things like that. How how does this comfort us uh, in those times? 
Well, I think that part of that comfort comes again if I understand that God is saving me, okay? Then I am comforted by the fact that 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 I would look at all the things in my life that are wrong and I would say, okay, this God can't overcome this wrong, this deficiency in me. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's something I think you have to learn. We're talking about God here, okay? Right. So there's nothing no sin that you have, no struggle that you have, no temptation you have, that God is not more than enough to address. Right. Okay? Uh, if I can quote chapter 3 of, 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 of Ephesians, verse number 20, I think it is, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now, we would take that, and quite often people would use that in, I've got this problem in life, and I need God to do something, and he's more than enough. But I want to take it this morning in the sense of, no matter what my spiritual battle, God is above and beyond that, okay? So that's where, if I understand that God is the one doing the work of salvation, then no sin that I struggle with or think of or doubts that I have or questions that I might ask can can be greater than uh, than his his power. We we put on the sign sometimes. Uh, grace can be rejected, mm-hmm. but it can never be exhausted. And yes. what a powerful thought that that's that's where God works in me, and I have these questions, I have doubts, and I wonder, and the Lord just keeps demonstrating his power and his grace and his majesty and he surprises you in little ways uh, to show you that he's faithful and he will keep you yeah. right so if we go back to Genesis 1:1 and read that in the beginning God created the heavens and earth if we if we don't have any problem believing that we have no problem we should have no problem at all believing the rest right. of what God tells us he's going to do right in our lives. Well, Frank Frank Turek, I believe is the way you say his name, he wrote the book called uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Mm-hmm. And he's uh, he frequently references this verse in, in his talks and everything. He says, if Genesis 1-1 is true, then I shouldn't have any problem with anything else. Because if he made everything out of nothing, yeah. then, then, then that's it. But, you know, another connotation of that verse, and I hope this doesn't overlap with what you're doing, God steps into total darkness because it says it was dark in Genesis 1. The world was without form. It was void. It was pointless. It was meaningless. Mm-hmm. And for the person watching, perhaps, who feels that's my life, it's pointless, it's meaningless, I'm in the dark, I don't know where I'm going, God steps into that. And he says, let there be light. And that parallel is the light of the gospel of Christ so that he can speak into my dark spiritual life and illuminate not only, uh, man, this, this, it's so powerful that I'm in a dark room. I can't find the door. God gives me the light and I see the door and the door is Christ. The parallels, the metaphors that you could use there. Uh, and and so that's a, that's just a powerful word of what a picture. Yeah. A, now you paint a much better picture, I believe, than even Doctor Ferguson well, did in his book. Yeah. That was uh, that was awesome. 
Well, Ephesians goes on in verses uh, 7 through 12 to give us even more encouragement. It says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. What a blessed verse, beautiful verse of comfort that is to a Christian's life. He says, uh, Dr. Ferdinand says also that uh, regeneration is pictured in resurrection. Romans six thirteen says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So what does present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life mean to our Christian life and our Christian walk? Well, that's... that's uh language that could be a little confusing, but it simply means what goes back to what we said earlier. Arrange your life and your your schedule, your practices, so that you are uh, inclining yourself to the works of God and not the works of sin. That's that's as fundamental as, as you can get. We have talked about at different times, uh, for example, let's let's talk about let's talk about uh, drinking. Great debate in the Christian church about whether you can or can't drink. We always emphasize you aren't supposed to be drunk. Correct. So you would not want to be putting yourself in a position where that's going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. uh, some people don't have a problem with alcohol in the sense that they don't, they're not controlled by it. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, but if a person has a struggle there, they need to step away from it. You don't go to parties. So, okay. So you got, you have a, you have a struggle with alcohol. You don't go to parties where you know there's going to be a lot of alcohol. Right. Uh, you, you don't do that. That's one of the ways you avoid that. Okay. You don't have to become a uh, a a flag waver for prohibition again. We right. just stay away from what your what weakens you. Right. Uh, the same thing would go to any of the other things that would weaken us or that we struggle with as Christians, and we say, okay, I'm I'm not going there. Okay. Uh, if I'm if I'm prone to becoming really angry about political stuff, and I'm going to get to the point where I am uh, uh, attacking a person who is made in the image of God simply because we have different political positions, mm -hmm. then I should turn off the news and stop watching it. Right. Okay, if I can't if I can't engage respectfully then I should not be doing. That's just little illustrations that we, we, we mean. Um, so you take concrete steps to not uh, put yourself in a position where you're going to fall into sins that you may already struggle with. Mm -hmm. 
uh, again, the writer of Hebrews says, lay aside the weight that hinders. He's, 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 not, he's just simply saying, look at your life and see those areas where you are weakest and make a decision. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let that happen. Mm -hmm. uh, we can put it in a, uh, a, a very concrete way, I think, with respect to church attendance. Right. How many times have I heard people say, well, I didn't make it because we stayed up and watched this movie. It's Saturday night. You know you've got to get up and go to church on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Present your body as, a, as, a, as an instrument to God by saying, okay, I'm not going to stay up to 11 or 12 or 1 o'clock in the morning watching a movie that's glorifying the flesh. Right. Okay? Now, it might not be glorifying the flesh. We, we watched an excellent movie the other day called I Will Wait which was a tremendous movie, and I, I tell you, there was not, I don't think it was one cuss word in it, okay? Uh, it was a very good movie. A World War II Jew and a, a, a Jewish girl separated from her Catholic boyfriend and how he searched to find her. Tremendous movie. Okay, good movie, got good values. Now, I shouldn't be watching it at 12 o'clock on Saturday night. Right. I got to get up and go to work. That's right. So so you can look at those kind of things. It sounds like it's some big elaborate thing. All it's saying is take steps so that you don't fall into the kinds of sins or hindrances that you typically might struggle with. Make some just make some decisions uh, uh, about that. Uh, it's amazing how many how many day-to-day -day examples could be found of just putting that verse into practice, mm -hmm. you know, just put that verse into practice. So if we find ourselves uh, getting into a situation in which we may be tempted to sin, we should do the uh, follow the Forrest Gump method. Run, Forrest, <laughs> run. <laughs> yeah, get exactly. Out, get yourself out yeah. of that situation. Yeah, exactly. Just take, take steps to avoid those kinds of, of, take steps to avoid those kinds of issues. I have said this for years. Uh, if a man comes to me and says, you know, I really have a problem with lust. And in the 21st century, red-blooded American male in the 21st century, very few of us can say we don't have a struggle with that. So what do we do? We, make, we take steps to avoid putting ourselves in those positions. Mm -hmm. So I don't watch movies or TV programs that are just constantly drilling that. I already have a problem. I make a decision to turn that off. Uh, I, I may not go to the beach or the pool, you know, because that's going to cause me to struggle. Now, I'm not trying to say everybody's like that. I'm saying if you know that this is an area of struggle in your life, right. then you have to take steps to avoid that struggle, recognizing again that Jesus said, if you lust on the woman, and that's a challenging statement, so I'm going to have to be careful here. Right. Uh, it means much more than just to look at her and say, well, she's good looking. It, it goes deeper than that. But obviously, if I put myself in a position where I'm constantly encountering that thought, mm -hmm. it's probably going to lead me to the next thought. Okay. Right. Uh, and I, again, I'm not telling nobody, not, I'm not saying anybody can't go to the pool or the lake or the beach this summer. I'm saying if you have a problem with lust, it's probably not the best place for you to go. And that's one of the ways we just take the right steps. Right. Uh, getting back to the picture of re resurrection, Ephesians 2.5 says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, uh, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
So we look at this, and the picture is pretty much almost, not exactly, but similar to what you were saying about being out of bring in creation, being brought out of that darkness right. into God's light. We're brought, uh, we're dead in trespasses and sin, and God has made us alive in Christ. So we uh, we are resurrected of sorts in, in that manner. Um, and we also see that it's solely a work of God. It says, by grace you have saved. It's, it's nothing we've done. Nothing. We can't earn it forever. Right. Well, and the, and the illustrations go on forever, but Jesus in John chapter 5, when you mentioned it's a resurrection of sorts, it is because we're spiritually dead. Okay, right. So we have to make sure we understand it. It's a resurrection Sa of our spirit. Right. Yeah. Sa salvation is new life that begins with the spirit man. Okay. Right. So it's not, it's not, it's not any kind of, of uh, extreme view or a misuse of the word. You who were dead, he has made yeah, alive. God. And what is a resurrection? It's a dead person coming back to life. Right. So it is appropriate to use that. But Jesus says, uh, uh, in Matthew 5, he talks about that. And he says, the, the, the hour has now come when the dead hear his voice and they come alive. Okay. Right. And then he goes on and he says the the hour is coming when all who are in the graves. So he's dealing with two dimensions of death here. Right. Spiritual death. Right. Which yeah. is, and he says, the time is now. People are already hearing his voice and right. coming to life. Right. Okay. Spiritual life. And then he says the day will come in the more resurrection when all the dead are raised to face judgment or set, uh, eternal life or eternal damnation. So it is a it is a form of resurrection, but it happens because they hear his voice, and those who hear his voice, of course, are the ones that he has worked in their hearts with regeneration. Exactly. What man? Scripture is wonderful. Oh, it's, isn't it? it's an incredible book, and again. I, 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 I pity, I don't know if pity is the right word, I, because I don't want to diminish people, but I feel so bad for folks who don't have a sense of the wonder of God's word. I feel, I feel bad for them. Yes. Dr. Ferguson goes on and uh, he poses the question, why is regeneration necessary? Of course, he answers that. Uh, he said, number one, man is flesh. John 3, 6 says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. And John 1, 12 through 13 says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So only a, a work of the Holy Spirit can bring us into the into this new life kingdom yeah. of, right. of God. So it's necessary because of the flesh. Did you have anything? No, no, that's, that's spot that? on. The only, the only thing I would highlight is, is verse 13 there, I think it is, of John 1. Mm -hmm. Not by the will of man. Right. Not not just not by the will of the flesh, which would have to do with the sexual relationship, mm -hmm. but the will of man. You 
salvation is not a product of my will. It is a product of his will. Right. Okay. And this demonstration, we were talking about this verse before, uh, but without verse 13, and uh, it just goes to show you, right. uh, a verse can be easily taken out of context. Uh, text. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't take the tapestry of Scripture, right? And again, what it teaches, not just what it not says, just what it's in says. a particular verse. Exactly. Also, regeneration is necessary because men cannot see. Uh, John three three says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Matthew thirteen. Verses 13 through 15 says, This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but not never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and with their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understanding with their hearts in turn, I would heal him. So that's that sounds a bit confusing. Can you clear it up a little bit? Uh, it's what Isaiah is well, teaching. Well, uh, of course it has it has overtones for the the full consummation of God's plan. So we don't want to go down too far that road, but one of the most fundamental things is that it's clear we cannot believe unless God opens our eyes. Right. Okay. We cannot know, we cannot see. And it, it says right there that God has blinded their eyes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so for people who say, well, I can't believe God would do anything like that, I'll soften it for you without apologizing for the position. Uh, you can't see unless God opens your eyes. Right. Uh, and that's that's as fully biblical as you can possibly get. Uh, the, you know, the illustration I like to use, the three things that the Bible describes us as blind, as sinners. Mm-hmm. Okay, Here's three words the Bible uses to describe sinners. There's more, but I'll use these three. We're blind, we're lost, mm-hmm. and we're dead. Right. Now, the, the, the first two, blind and lost, don't have the same strength as dead, okay? If you're dead, you can't bring yourself back to life. Everybody knows it. Right. Uh, somebody else has to come and give that dead person life. Mm-hmm. But with respect to blind and lost, blind doesn't mean you can't function. We have a world of functioning people who are spiritually blind. Right. But a blind person cannot diagnose their blindness. They cannot do the surgery to fix their blindness. Mm-hmm. This is the connotation of blindness. God must come and diagnose it. Someone outside of us must diagnose the cause of my blindness. If there's a cure for my blindness, someone outside of me must do that work. Mm-hmm. Someone outside the human race must come and say, you're blind, you're, and, and, and the only hope of your seeing is me, okay, mm-hmm. as I as God. Um, the same thing as lost. Lost doesn't mean you, you got bewildered out in the wilderness and you lost your way for two or three. It means you are so lost, there's no hope you'll ever find your way out. God has the Mount of Rescue mission 
and come and find you. And this is the language the Bible uses. Right. So, so that's the that is the framework behind what Jesus is conveying there. You cannot you cannot see unless God comes and does a work in your heart. And I would I would say, uh, going back to that earlier metaphor about the dark room and the light comes on, mm-hmm. that not only do you see now what is in the room, but you also see what you must do. You know, you're, you're, not, saying, you're not just going to stand there and look around the room and say, well, that's nice, that's nice, that's nice. You're going to immediately start doing something. Yeah. And, and so as a Christian, you, you come to Christ and you have this experience of transformation and immediately you begin to function differently, mm-hmm. okay? Function differently. Well, Dr. Ferguson brings out also, and you, you just talked about this, uh, that not only is man um, blinded, that we are in darkness. Uh, and of course, he, he quotes Ephesians 5 8, uh, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Uh, walk as children of light. Right. And then he always adds that, you know, you are light, walk in the light. Right. He always gives us instruction. Right, right. But uh, Dr. Ferguson also brings out that he says, the greatest tragedy is to think that the darkness in which we set is in fact light and that the light of Christ is really a dark shadow from which we should turn. And I think he's referring back to John nine thirty nine through verse 41. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So do you think that do you think that there are a lot of people sitting in pews now, like the Pharisees? And uh, exactly what what was going on with the Pharisees? What was Jesus telling us in, in these words? To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.